I am here to introduce to you all one of my friends and co-workers for the Kingdom of God. Uh, so Brian, come on up. This is Brian Muchmore. Brian works with Youth for Christ as the executive di director for the Seattle metro area. And he is a big part of the reason why I can be here in Bellevue, across the street at Odell, and with the community with kids, working with them, getting to know them, playing sports with them, and ultimately introducing them to Jesus. So Brian has been in youth ministry for 22 years, been married th that long as well. Two kids, beautiful wife named Sherry right here. And he is just a great guy that understands the kingdom of God in a big picture of who Christ is to be in the community because of how much God loves us and how much he just has a heart to tell kids and to serve kids. So I'm going to pray, and then without further ado, we'll hand it over to Brian. Um, God, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you that we're here. I thank you that we can gather freely and worship you. And <clears throat> I just pray that this morning you will be moving in our hearts, Lord, that you'll be giving us the bigger picture of what your kingdom is and how we can be serving you and following you and loving other people because of how much you love us. And God, I just pray for your church, Lord. I pray for your church in Bellevue. I pray for your church in the Seattle area. I pray for your just your church in the U.S. and in the globe. God, I just pray that your people will be listening to you and following you in whatever way you call them, be it big or small. So God, we love you. We thank you for being here. And just please be with us. Amen. 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 Thank you, Andrew. It's uh, just really a privilege to work with Andrew and Michelle at Youth for Christ. And um, I hope, uh, I know you guys probably love the work that they do here with kids, both here in the church and across the street at Odal Middle School. So um, Kurt, about a month or so ago, asked me to, to come and, and share this morning, and it's just a real honor to be with you. And I was thinking, you know, this last week, last week was Easter. It's, it's the greatest holiday. It's the greatest celebration that we have in the Christian church, the resurrection of our Lord. But what do you preach the very next week? You know, there's, there's a whole group of people that, uh, and I grew up this way, there's a whole group of people if you go to church only twice a year, you hear the same thing all the time. Christmas story, Easter story, Christmas story. It's like, don't they ever say anything else in this place? It's the same story all the time. But, you know, this week, I, I entitled this message, Life After Easter. What is life after Easter supposed to look like? And I wanted to take us this morning into John chapter 20 to start with, because this in John's gospel is, uh, is Jesus' great commission. Now, when we think about the great commission Oftentimes we'll go to Matthew 28. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything. So yes, that's Matthew's great commission, but, but this is how John records it. These are Jesus' first words post-resurrection. And he's telling us um, how to go. And it's interesting, this is what the scriptures say. On the evening of that first week when the disciples were together with the doors locked in fear of the Jews... Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Going on again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. There's so much here in this verse, you could take the whole hour just talking about John chapter 20. But I'm just going to open it up because um, it's interesting, you know, these, these friends, these disciples, it tells us that they were locked in fear. And so... Jesus had resurrected. They weren't aware of that quite yet, but they were locked in fear. And I don't know what your week has looked like. 
I would imagine that there are some people in here today that you're coming to church and you're just feeling on top of the world. And Lord bless you. And there's other people in here that just feel like I've had the worst week and I've had maybe the worst season, maybe the worst year, maybe the just worst run of how long. And really, we come in here this morning locked in fear. Um, and Lord bless you too. The power in this verse is that in that, when we come locked in fear, we have a God who stands among us. Jesus stepped right into the middle of these fearful disciples. And then he gives the commission. He doesn't, we, this God that we have, this, this, this God Jesus, this, this Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he doesn't send us like, get out there, Andrew, get across that street. Get out there, you guys, and talk about me. Talk about the kingdom in your own power. It's not how our God is. Our God, in the midst of our fears and in our weaknesses and all the things we're not good at and all our inabilities, he just comes in, I'm going to stand among you and with you. We're going to get in right in the middle of this. And then he says, peace. Again, he says, peace. As the Father sent me, just as the Father sent me, so now I send you. And not alone. We're not as orphans, right? As we were told in the Last Supper, we're not orphaned. So we, just as Jesus went, that's how we are to go. And so with that as an opener of what life is supposed to look like after Easter every day, which I don't know about you, I forget that. These disciples clearly had. They had spent three years with Jesus. They had had this amazing dinner. They didn't realize it at the moment, which so often happens to us. But they had had this last supper just three days earlier. They had broken bread and they had had the first communion. And Jesus had reminded them again for the umpteenth time about everything that was going to happen. And then it happened. But now they're locked in fear. Is, it, is that just me or is... Does anybody else feel like that? You have heard the promises of God. I have heard the promises of God over and over and over. But I get locked in fear. So let's look today what life after Easter could look like. If just like these disciples, we say, God will stand among us. And what if we were to go just as Jesus went? So to, the, to describe how Jesus went, to learn about how Jesus went, I want to take us into John 4. John chapter 4, this is a, there's a lot, there's about 10 sermons in John chapter 4, so I'm just going to do kind of a survey today. We're going to skip over some text, but it's a powerful story. It's a powerful story because uh, in John chapter 4, Jesus has an, a meeting. He has a meeting with a woman at the well in a place called Samaria. I want to take this apart because really, if we were to look about our lives and our stories and the culture that we're supposed to live in this life after Easter style, it's pluralistic, it's cross-cultural, it's many different religions, it's many different viewpoints, it's many different personalities, many different ethnicities. It's a rich world that we're supposed to, and we can either be fearful of that and talk about how the tide is stemmed against Christianity, or we can be hopeful of that and see the glass half, half full. Amen. We can be half full Christians in this post-Easter life, and we can go with intentionality and learn from this, this great interaction that Jesus has with this woman from Samaria. So here's how the verse starts. And, and my first point here is that if we, if we go just as Jesus went in this story, our first point is that we have a life of new purpose. We have a life on purpose. The scripture says this. 
Now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the journey, sat down by the well. It was the sixth hour, which is about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now, just a sidebar thing here. I just love the, the humanity of Jesus here. He's tired and he's hungry. Anybody here ever get tired? Worn out? Hungry? This is our spirit-filled Jesus, which is the same promise we have. He gets tired and hungry. And he sits down and in, with intentionality he has a conversation with this woman. Now, um, so... For just for background, some, some, some know this, but when you go to Jerusalem, that's in the south, and Galilee's in the north, there's two ways to get there. Imagine going to Spokane from here. You can take I-90 straight through, and you can go straight to Spokane, or you could go up north, and then you can go up Highway 2 and see Twisp and all that kind of stuff in Georgia, and you can kind of come and come in the back way. Now, the logical way would be to take I-90, but imagine that in the middle, Ellensburg existed. Now, I'm not, if you're from Ellensburg, don't take this personally, okay? <laughs> but when I was going to college, um, I went to that Holy Land in Pullman at Washington State. where um, There's a cougar. All right, thank you. Now, I, I heard some other kind of comments too, but um, I actually met the Lord there, so it is holy ground for me. Um, and, and then I met my wife right after that, so... Um, but so to get from here, you got to take I-90, right? And you got to go through Ellensburg. Now, it's not like this anymore, but in the 80s, there was something about Ellensburg because the slaughterhouse was right near the freeway or something. And it seemed like so many times I'd just go through and it's like, whoa, that's bad. Okay. Um, good people, I'm sure, in Central Washington University, fine school. Okay. But it was just a really tough, you know, 10 minute journey through there, but you had to stop. You always had to stop. So, but but uh, Samaria is a different story. Uh, for a good Jew, and certainly a rabbi, you would not stop in Samaria because these people, lots of Jewish history here, but they had been conquered by the Babylonians. They were an in inbreeded culture. It was just not a place where a, a good Jew would find themselves. And uh, they, were, they were an unclean people. So when the scripture says here that Jesus had to go through Samaria... He had a choice. In fact, every other you know, good Jew, certainly a rabbi, would have taken Highway 2 and gone up and around the long way because that's how you go from Jerusalem to Galilee if you're a good Jew. But Jesus had to go through Samaria. What does it mean? What do you think? Why, do you, why did he have to? Why did he have to? There's lots of Lots of commentary out there on this. But um, if you think Jesus being God with skin on, he could have gone anywhere. He could have floated. He could have walked. He could have, he could have done like a beam me up and then beam me down. He could have gotten there any way that he wanted to, but he had to walk through Samaria because I believe that the Holy Spirit was driving him to have this conversation with this woman and this community and to tell us today, you know what? There are not unclean people. There are not unclean cultures. Nobody is too broken or too far from the love of God. And this story is to be recorded in depth for the rest of history. Jesus has this intentional interaction. He had to go there. He was compelled. 
Jesus on earth broke down all kinds of barriers that exist. He broke down barriers of holiness codes and religious purity codes. Nobody was too far or too dirty or too this or that for Jesus. You know, in Jesus' day, if you're a rabbi, if you're a teacher, and you were touched a dead person or a bleeding person or an unclean person or an impure person, had a conversation, you would be unclean and basically not able to go to church. You would be useless for the work of the kingdom. But Jesus breaks all that down. There's a new theology in the world that we live in in the post-Easter way is that now holiness it doesn't, and, and uncleanliness, it doesn't come from, from anyone to me and get stuck on me. Goodness and holiness comes from me and gets stuck on the world because we've been, we are the people after Easter. We are the people that go. We make unclean things pure. And that's good news to this world that's around us. Jesus had to go. You know, um, I want to tell a story about Andrew here um, because this is a fun story. I, in 22 years of ministry, we have uh, about 41 staff, and each year we have somewhere between 25 and 30 interns every year that come on. So I've been with YFC for about 10 years, which means for the last 10 years, we've hired you know just 300 interns, not to mention other staff, volunteers. Been doing this for a long, long time. I was counting this up, about 1,000 different people I think I've interviewed at some point or another for ministry, either a volunteer or a staff position. But um, when I talked to Andrew three years ago about coming on staff with Youth for Christ, he had just finished his internship with SPU. And I said, Andrew, we have an opportunity to be on the east side to work with Youth for Christ. And he said, okay, let me think about that. And we talked about it. And he came down, we sat down at the booth at SPU, and the conversation went something like this. Brian, I don't really want to come to work for Youth for Christ, but I think I have to. And I'm sitting there as an employer and said, I don't think I've ever had that happen. <laughs> Somebody wants a job, but they don't actually want it. They just feel like they have to have it. And I'm kind of making fun of Andrew just a little bit. But that's the kind of Holy Spirit have to in a world of want to's. We have a world that does what it wants to. But life after Easter needs people that do what they have to. Because to do something different than what the Holy Spirit of the living God in us wants to do, things just aren't going to happen. And I've appreciated that faithfulness in the time that I've had an opportunity to work with Andrew. That Holy Spirit have to that drives you to do those things that don't necessarily hit the want to button in you. So I just close on this point to say, just think for a minute. Is there something you just not necessarily want to do? but you think that God might have you have to do in this coming week? The second thing that this verse teaches us is that we have an opportunity in this post-Easter world to have, live a life of great giving. Going on to verses 9 and 10, it says this, The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans, as we've just explained. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked, and he would have given you living water. Other than John 6, 3.16, this might be the most powerful verse in John's gospel. Maybe, maybe the second simplest explanation of the good news in this gospel, if she only knew. There's four points here in this gift, in this giving, and this is what we bring into a post-Easter world. We bring this, a free gift of God. Isn't it great that um, there's no, nothing you have to earn? There's not a religious triathlon that you 
or me or anyone else in this world that has to go through to get this great free gift of eternal living water. Free gift. It's redundant. It's like, it's free gift. Well, you said it the first time, it was free. Just to remind you, it's a gift. This is a free gift. Nothing earned. And who is it that offers it? It's Yahweh himself. It's the incarnate God. God with skin on. There is no gift. There is no free trial offer. There is no extra set of Ginsu knives. That, there's no offer out there that is greater than this free gift from the great giver. In our role, the third thing is we are to just ask for it. That all this world has to do is just simply ask if we, and you will receive living water, point number four. It's a Mount Everest of, of water in a world that has this, this death valley thirst. One commentator said this, that this life, this is like life after Easter. It's like the story of a woman who, who went for a drink and came back with a, for a well. Came back with a well. So the point on this is this. In this life after world, whose name should go in the blank if she only knew? If she only knew. If she only knew the gift that was, Jesus says to this woman, if you only knew the gift that you had offered to you. So in your world, in this post-Easter world, who is that fill in the blank in your life? If he only knew, if she only knew, a family member, a coworker, a grandmother, a grandfather, a son or a daughter or a cousin, if she only knew. We'll come back to that. But the key is, um, you know, sometimes I know on this point, some of you may be kind of checking out, thinking, ah, sorry, I've been praying for that person that fill in the blank for a long, long time, and we're not getting any action. Go on to your next point. If we only knew. If she only knew. I want to talk about this on this next point, because uh, on this third point is... A post-Easter life offers us a true, a life of true worship. Skipping ahead into their dialogue, at, um, at verse 22, it says this, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines worship as the act of respect and love for a God, small g. The online dictionary says this, the reverent love and devotion accorded to a deity, an idol, or a sacred object. You know, we often use worship to um, point out um, things that don't relate, relate to, to, say, church or God. They worship their car, they worship their job, or they worship this, or they worship that. They worship their clothing. Um, but Jesus here is specifically talking to this woman about religion. It's not false worship. It's, it's here's what you're worshiping. She's worshiping a blend of, it's the Samaritan religion. It was a blend. It was a cross-cultural blend of gods. And you know what? Our world out here today, for us in this post-modern, this post-Easter world that we live in, this is exactly what people face. There are very few atheists, really. It takes incredible faith to actually be an atheist. To look at all of the design in, around us and to say that it all happened by accident, you really have to have faith. 
way more faith than it takes to follow Jesus. But there's lots of uh, agnostics. And, and, but most people, a magazine, Time Magazine still says 90% of our culture still believes that there's some kind of a God. But it's this pluralistic blend of all kinds of different things. And Jesus is boldly, it's kind of, he's going against, you know, kind of good missiology here where we accept and we, you know, we to, there's tolerance of, of the various religion. And certainly that's expressed in how he interacts with her. He's, he's kind and he's compassionate and he's tolerant. But he takes the issue straight on. He talks directly to her about her religion and has a very direct conversation. And not only that, later he talks about her sexuality when he, talk, she, he confronts her about the number of husbands that she's had. But why did he get away with that? Well, going back to John 20, what if we go just as Jesus went? Maybe we have an opportunity, a Holy Spirit opportunity in people's lives to really get to the deep things in life with people. What did Jesus do? He met her where she was at, on her turf, on her terms. He show, we show up, what if we showed up in the, in the world and actually met an, a real need that people have on their turf, meeting their needs, and asking good questions. This whole dialogue starts with Jesus asking her for something. Asking questions. You know, um, it's said that if you want to be a great conversationalist, be a great listener. A great conversationalist who listens 80%, speaks 20% of the time. For Jesus, uh, worship is not about focusing on an, a new object, but it's a complete reorientation. So here's our point. What if we, just as Jesus did, if we go just as Jesus did, taking initiative, intentionally showing up in other people's worlds and listening well, listening well to what they have, helping them meet their real and tangible needs, engaging them in conversations that have real meaning because we've listened and we've accepted. We haven't come with preaching and doctrine up front. We've come with question asking and meeting, servant, meeting needs as a servant meeting them in their world and on their turf. So, the fourth point, life after Easter, we get a new understanding. We can pick up this conversation again in the next verse. The, vermin, uh, the woman says this, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. The NRSV says this, um, Jesus said to her, I am he the one who is speaking to you. This is the first I am statement in John's gospel. The first of more to come. This woman is just like people in our community today. They're in search of the real thing. When um, there are people that are so in search of God. So when we go back to earlier what we said, um, that fill in the blank person, if they only knew. For me, that if they only knew person is my mom. My mom's 76 years old. And I've, I feel a sense of urgency to, let, to have my mom know this God that um, has changed my life. And it's not like we've never had a conversation about it. But at any age, at any time, we have people who just, if they only knew, and we have to trust God for that. Because there's a life, point number five is, is a life of new purpose. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? This woman, she moves from doubter and antagonist 
in Jesus. They get into this whole debate that we haven't talked too much about in, in, in this whole section of scripture about where to worship. To a worshiper and an evangelist. And here's the encouraging thing for me is that if you were to kind of go through and take a look at this sermon that she's giving, it's, it's lacking homiletically. It's what they teach, it's what they teach you in Fuller. It's not good homiletics, okay? Because you're not really, you're not presenting right, you're not making these pointed arguments perfectly correctly, um, you're not using all the right language, but um, here's, and, and you, you finish your sermon with a doubting question, but here's the result. The whole town says, hey, what a great idea. Let's go out and meet him. That's the power of God. I am so thankful here this morning that it doesn't take a perfect sermon to communicate the word of God. And if you look at, if you look at uh, around the world and you look at some of the sermons that are given and, 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 and look, we look at our own life, thank goodness it is the power of God that moves through us. So for the people that are in the fill in the blank in our life, if they only knew... It's not about us having these perfect words or this perfect theological argument. Study and knowing our scriptures certainly helps because it just gives God more ammunition, more, um, more power as the Holy Spirit is working in us to draw towards our memory the things that we know. So certainly we should study and certainly we should know, right? Certainly we should enter into that Francis Chan study, one of my favorite authors, by the way. And and learn and know about God so that when we're in those conversations, the Holy Spirit just has more to draw up from within us to share, yes. But ultimately, we take promise in John chapter 6, it says no one can actually come to the Father until the Spirit of God draws them there. That it is God who is at the great evangelist. That God is the great hope giver. And that this woman, what she lacks in good hermeneutics, she makes up for um, in enthusiasm honesty, and a completely Christ-centered message. He's changed my life. This is the Christ, the Messiah. Come see him. To our friends, to that person who's that fill-in-the-blank person in our lives, it's Jesus has changed my life. Can you come and learn about him? Would you, I just offer you an invitation. Um, the point is, is that we don't have to be perfect in our presentation of Christ. And um, I've invited Andrew just to come up. Andrew has been working um, at Odell Middle School for the last three years. Um, and Odell Middle School, for those of you who don't know, is actually just almost directly across the street. Uh, three years ago when Andrew came on staff with us at Youth for Christ, um, their principal there, Eric McDowell, who's not necessarily a believer, um, uh, but a great guy. He's a very caring shepherd of this school. But Andrew would just go there, and our philosophy at Youth for Christ is show up where people are at and serve. And so Andrew showed up to say, um, I want to uh, just help with homework. I'll help be a lunchroom monitor. I'll chaperone dances. All the things that teachers hate to do, okay? Because <laughs> they've been hanging out with kids. And so all these volunteer needs. And, um, and here's what happened. So on my show up list of who, if they only knew, it's kids. And I've shared that before. And for me, what happened was, this, this happened last fall, there's been a kid, so t on a typical Wednesday, I show up at an after-school program, hang out with some kids, and then I drive them here to youth group, and we have a great time, talk about Jesus, and I, I love it. And there'd been a student that had been coming, and I'm not going to say any names, I don't want to embarrass them, but 
it had been a student that had been coming with me for quite some time. He'd shown up at our clubs on Friday nights. And we're driving one day last fall. And I'm thinking, man, we're really late. Because I had left late from the after school program. I started talking. And then the traffic. And I'm like, ah, oh, I'm late. Kind of missing up. And, and we're going. And he's like, hey, can we stop and pick up my friend? And I'm like, oh, I, I don't think so. I mean, I don't think so. Why not? And he starts going, and I keep thinking, man, we're late, we're going. And he's like, I know where they live. Please, please, please. And you know that begging that comes from the back seat in the midst of traffic? Does anybody remember that or have that? This is happening, and I'm just like getting slightly annoyed, in all honesty. But then he asked that question, why not? And then more importantly, he asked the question, and he makes more of the statement, if we have a seatbelt, we just need one more. And I put on my blinker and I take the immediate left. Because he's like, it's right over there. My friend's right over there. So we, we take that left. And, and this was really one of those Holy Spirit moments where I didn't necessarily want to, but God worked through it. And we took that left. And we went and we knocked on the door. And I kid you not, his stepdad opened the door, and when the student with me asked if his friend could come to church, the stepdad said, oh, well, he's not here, but let me go find him for you, and then we'll, we'll ask. So we go on a traipsing through this apartment complex, knock on another door, and then the kid, he's like, oh, it's Wednesday. That's right, I'm going to go to church. And he just says goodbye and comes. And since that Wednesday, I've gotten various texts or random phone calls from this student making sure he's got a ride. Because he just wants to keep coming back. And the thing is, is that's a testimony to what God does. Because I, I didn't, I, I, we were late, I will say that. <laughs> that Wednesday we were late. But it's been completely worth it. And from that, other students have come. But it all comes because we showed up and then God did this Holy Spirit thing. Mm-hmm. And we we're having those conversations. So that's just one story that I can share. And then Brian mm-hmm. can come and finish up. Thanks, Andrew. Um, we don't have to get things perfect. We don't have to have all the right answers. We just need to go just as Jesus went, knowing that he's with us. Closing out this morning, I just want to share, there's a few other points Point number six would be there's a life of new nourishment. Um, the, the scriptures tell us, this says, Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. But his disciples said to each other, Could have someone brought him some food? Um, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus is laying out the basics of Christian mission and Christian work. What what, what it should look like. That there is a sense of nourishment that comes that is just um, out of this world, literally. That there's a sense of nourishment that comes um, because, <laughs> hey, we didn't lose audio at least, right? No, so, um, because we're living a life on purpose. A new sense of nourishment. A new sense of power. Um, that... You know, early in the gospel, Jesus teaches us that serving others and becoming last is really the path to true greatness, to true satisfaction. 
And so I guess I would say on this point, as we think about this next week in this life after Easter lifestyle that we're called to live, is um, who can we give our lives away today in this coming week? Where can we give our lives away? What people group, what coworker, what, what kind of crazy things going on in the workplace that you want to avoid, but you might have this Holy Spirit have to calling you to engage on? Another point, point seven. This scripture teaches us as we go, just as Jesus went, that we can have a new life of faith. And this is where I want to go back to those of you, like myself, who when I asked you the question, if she only knew, and the person in the fill in the blank for you was someone you've kind of given up on, if you're just honest. I've asked and I've tried and I've prayed so often. If this person blank only knew, and you just think, wow, I don't know. We've tried so long. But that's where this verse reminds us. It goes here at John 35. Jesus says, do not say four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. He's teaching his disciples. They're all focused on what did he, where did he get the Big Mac or whatever he's been eating, right? And Jesus is reorienting them and saying, look, you guys, the whole town is coming this way. The first sermon ever preached in Samaria was preached by this woman. And she's bringing the whole town out. Look, there's this ripe harvest. You know, and if you do a little research here, this saying, four months more, and then the harvest, this is a Jewish proverb. Four months more and then the harvest. It's like saying, Rome wasn't built in a day. Meaning, this Jewish proverb means, don't expect things immediately. Be patient. Take your time. Work in small pieces. But just like all proverbs, they can get blown out of the water by another proverb but here's the point, or by the miracle of the living God. Rome wasn't built in a day, but all of Rome can change immediately. Bellevue wasn't built in a day, but all of Bellevue can be drastically changed by the miraculous power of God. We believe in a God that still does miracles. Amen? Yes. So when, when I start to say, if my mom only knew the power and the, and the, and the gift that I had to give is God saying, if, I, if I'm kind of saying, oh, I've tried that in my spirit, if I just kind of get worn down or I grieve, I'm forgetting the fact that at any given moment, this miraculous God can move mightily, can move mightily in a life. So at any given moment, God can move miraculously in the people that we care about. And I'd like to just close with this point here, is that the last thing is that this section of Scripture Going just as Jesus went in this post-Easter life gives us a life of new friends. The scriptures say this, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did, she said. So when the Samaritans came to them, they urged him to stay, and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Many more became believers. They, be they believed, these people believed, because of this wonderful combination of her life, witness, and testimony. And again, looking at her life, it was anything but perfect. But it was changed. So her life and her testimony combined 
and they came out and they received Jesus' teaching. This is a perfect picture of all of us who are here on Sunday going out and living the other six days of the week, bringing our friends back in for the life and teaching. This, passion, this power of community and teaching and Jesus, our witness into the world and coming together for teaching and learning and, and loving people. So as I close on this point, I'd just like to share this. We are called to go expectantly, in peace, not as conquerors, in peace, just as Jesus went. Um, a little plug for what we're doing here together with Lake Sammamish Foursquare Church. Some of you may be aware of this and some of you may not. But um, at Youth for Christ, um, we're um, opening up an after-school drop-in center right here. And I'm not sure how many of you are aware of that, but it's a city life center is what we call it. And it's available on Monday afternoons and Friday afternoons. And eventually at some point, once we get enough volunteers, Wednesday afternoons and beyond. And the beautiful thing about this is that this drop-in center model was designed in partnership with our principal across the street at Oldham Middle School. We sat down with Eric, again, not a Christian, but a phenomenal guy, a great educator, a huge shepherd heart for kids. And we said, Eric, what does your school need? This school that has 22 languages, that is approaching, that is approaching half of the kids on free and reduced lunch below the poverty line. The world has come to us. We can still go around the world. Overseas missions, absolutely. But the world is coming right here. Samaria, and this is not an unclean campus, but I'm saying this cross-cultural community is right here. And Andrew has spent, and our interns have spent three years building these relationships. Um, we know hundreds of kids over there. And they're going to be invited. Eric, we said to Eric, what do these kids need? Well, you know, kids in under-resourced communities, you know what they need? They need the same things that our kids need when they come home from school. Moms, answer this question. When your kids come home from school, what's the first thing they need? Food. Good. Okay. And then what's the second thing that they need to do? Well, that's the third thing. The second thing they need to do is just kind of blow off a little steam, right? They've been cooped up all day in this cage that they've, in their view, it's a great opportunity, this great learning lab, but it feels like a cage to them, right? Because they're adolescents and they have all this energy. And um, so what's going to happen is, and what Eric told us what he wants, he goes, I do not want a zoo going on. I do not want craziness and mayhem. There's other places for that. But we need a place where a kid, you know, most, most of these kids that are coming from homes that are under-resourced, they, um, their parents are anything but lazy. They're working hard. They're working multiple jobs, but there's nobody there after school. These kids need what our kids needed. They need some food. They need some loving people to, to be met by loving people. They need some food. They need some safe, organized games that build self-esteem, and they can blow off a little steam and have some fun. And then they need homework help. <laughs> homework help is what Eric said. You know, kids that get their homework done, they have a remarkably better chance of, 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 of finishing school and completing school. We're losing our kids, and especially our boys in under-resourced communities at fourth and fifth grade, because if they're not catching up by then, they're never going to be able to catch up through seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. Let's stop that, church. People of God, let's go just as Jesus went and open our doors and, and embrace these kids. And so um, there are room. I think, Andrew, we still have room for some volunteers. Yes, okay, the head was nodding. Yes, we need lots of volunteers. And um, 
I thank you that this is a church that is, uh, opens your doors to the community. You have so many different things going on here in this community. This community can't help but notice, just to give you, when we said to Eric, the principal, we said that this drop-in center would be across the street at the church. He's, oh, fantastic, great church. He doesn't go to church, but he knows that this is a great church. So well done, church. So I would just circle back to how we started and close with this. In John chapter 20, let's, take all, let's wrap up all our fears. I have fears going into this week. I'm sure you do into this year, into this month. Let's wrap up our fears. We'll bring them to Jesus and trust that he stands among us. And let's go just as Jesus went. Amen? Will you close in prayer with me? Lord, um, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this wonderful group of friends who I don't even know by name, but they are friends. I thank you, Lord, for um, Lake Sammamish Foursquare, for this community that has been built that says, it's not about us. It's about you. It's about your kids. It's about your community. Lord, help us to be a post-Easter people that um, remember that you stand among us in our fears, that, you, um, that before you send us, you send us um, with, we're not alone, we're not orphaned. You send us in peace to go just as you went. Help us to be those post-Easter people in this coming week, in this coming month, in this coming year. God, um, I just pray your special favor over our City Life Center that opens tomorrow afternoon, first day tomorrow afternoon here. God, I pray that these kids, just like the kids that Andrew talked about, that they are met with love and uh, that they're uh, it's a safe place, that they make new friends that they get new hope in school and academics, that when their parents come to pick them up, God, I'd, I'd say that, that they ask a question, what is this church? What is this place? God, I pray that as we um, build a well here in this community, a gathering place for kids together, that many kids might come to know you, Jesus, that your hope and your love will permeate their lives God, I pray for kids that are across in that school that there are future pastors over there they just haven't been found yet. That there are future men and women of God, that there are marriages already that are going to be saved because young boys and girls are going to learn what it means to follow Christ at a young age. God, we pray for a harvest of kids. We pray for a summer camp where many kids come to know Christ. We pray for... Um, we pray for volunteers in this church, young and old alike. God, thank you that you don't have the perfect person, the right age, the right um, height, the right weight, the right color. Thank you, God, that you use us all because there are kids there that need moms and dads, surrogate moms and dads in this community. They need surrogate grandparents. They need friends their own age. God, raise up people to come alongside kids in our community and these families. We pray for your provision and your protection. Lord, what we break, we'll fix. We love you. You are a reconciling God. And we thank you for this day. Amen.